Welcome into a brand new episode of A Whole New Ball Game. Joining us on the podcast today, Alec Lewis, Kansas City Royals beat writer for The Athletic. Alex, thanks so much for taking the time to join the podcast today. First off, it's been one of the most unprecedented years, but yet we are still covering baseball, talking about the sport. What's this year been like for you in, in so many unprecedented ways? It's been wild. It's been a whirlwind. Um, I mean, it's so fascinating to think about how quick this thing has gone in terms of the fact that we are already uh, in September and, and uh, closing in on the end of this regular season. So it's, it's been fascinating. I remember the day I flew back from Surprise, Arizona in the Royal Spring Training. Um, it was days after Rudy Gobera tested positive for COVID. And it was kind of, again, just the whirlwind of this year encapsulated in a few days. So it's been it's been interesting, but I'm happy to be here with you guys. Thanks, uh, thanks for having me. One of the big things for you as a beat writer is your job is so revolving around being at the field and having these relationships with these players. What has been one adjustment for you that you've had to make to be able to maintain these relationships and make sure that you're getting the best stories out of these Royals players and staff? Yeah, so I mean, as people who know beat writers specifically in baseball know, I mean, every day, on a normal season with, with where you can be in person and not have to still distance from people, you are in a clubhouse um, and kind of working the room, just talking to the people that you have built relationships with, as you mentioned. And sometimes stories will just pop up organically in those conversations. Sometimes it's just, did you hear that new album? But other times it's, I've been doing this mechanically and it leads to a story that I think people hopefully enjoy. And so that's been an adjustment because you don't have that work around time. You're not on Zoom in a chat room with all the players and get to pick who you want to talk to. That's not how it works. So it's been an adjustment in terms of making, and I think it's been a good adjustment. It's made me think more outside the box. It's made me delve deeper into numbers and analytics in ways that I don't think I would have had I not been forced to in this season. And so for me, it's been about not making excuses for the situation that we're in, but still providing the stories that I think bring people the most insight and, and, and as close as possible to the people and the players that they like following and watching and, and who are performing. Alec, I've made it clear on social media how I start my morning every day. And one of my, I guess, New Year resolutions has been a challenge for me to read at least five athletic articles every single day <laughs> your stories that you put out there I know I tweeted about it earlier this week how you pick five different stats and you put those stats in, in the tweet and then in the whole story you try to figure out why do these numbers matter where did that idea come from um I think really I remember before the season I read a story that Jason Stark had done and it was like it was eight magic numbers and Jason's creativity is off the charts ridiculous the fact that I'm right on the same staff as Jason Stark is <laughs> something again it's like I don't I don't take that for granted I really don't it's something that motiv motivates me every day and um so I remember reading that and then I I I come back to the fact that like we don't write a lot of game stories so for me I'm trying to capture a long span of games and performance in certain ways and in, in a concise way. And that has proven, I don't know, it's kind of funny. I, you, you mentioned on Twitter, like you enjoy reading. I enjoy kind of trying to come up with the craziest type of number combination I can find 
and making that make sense for why it relates to royal success or struggles. And so, uh, but I, I hat tip to Jason solely because, again, I mean, some of these ideas that others create is something I think you can replicate in, in your own ways. And, and it's just a testament to how good those ideas have been and can be. You talk about not getting caught up in writing the game stories and kind of trying for more long form things, but how hard is it, say, you're writing a story about the Royals week. Nicky Lopez, who's hitting 220, has a really great game that same night that you're writing the story. How hard is it to not get caught up in just that one moment as the beat writer, but also be able to look back and say, and he had a tough week, but he had a great, he had a walk-off home run, or he went two for four with a double. How hard is it to not try to include those moments too much when you're writing the story that night? It's an amazing point. I mean, that's really an amazing point because I, I mean, I, I covered, I went to the University of Missouri. I covered football and basketball all four years that I was there. And I, baseball for me, as people who know me well know, baseball was not my number one. It wasn't what I knew best. And that's part of the reason why I wanted this job and kind of it's the way I have. It's because I felt like if I put myself in the uncomfortable position of covering the sport that I, I grew up playing, but I don't know in terms of a reporting standpoint, then if I can do this, what, what can I not do? And so for me, to your point, one of the things that I've learned has been just how important sample size is in this game. And so it is difficult when you see a guy like Adalberto Montesi struggle for as long as he has, and then he finally breaks out and, and records three hits in a game. You want to just jump and be like, he's flipped the switch, but this game is built off sample size. That's why they're 162. It's why the slog 162 kind of shows, um, it shows evaluators the, what they need to know most. And so that's been one of the ma many adjustments and, and many kind of just learning experiences that I've had in covering baseball. And it's what really, I think, makes this sport so fascinating because Again, you can see it's such a hard game that you see certain successes in such short stints that don't tell you something. And then you see struggles and successes in long spans um, that tell you more. And it's, it's part of what's fascinating about it. I think this season, though, is so different from obviously any other season that either you've covered or been a fan of, as well as myself and Ben. It's simple because I mean, look at the Yankees. They went on a 5-15 stretch. The fans were saying the Yankees are going to miss the playoffs. The Orioles or the Tigers are going to sneak up and kick the Yankees out of the playoffs. And I'm sitting here thinking it's a 60-game stretch, right? 60 games is basically two months of a regular season in some ways. And so how can you look at it from this perspective? Because the Royals had a, a tough stretch in the beginning of the season, but now they're starting to come around, finally starting to – pick up but the season's ending in a week and a half so it's like it's so strange that this season in particular you talk about uh, the 162 that kind of gives it a legitimate view of okay who are the good teams who are the okay teams and where are the teams that need desperate improvement for next season and in 60 games it's tough to really tell who the good teams are versus the great teams and then the, the somewhat okay teams yeah it's interesting and it's something that I mean, we, we texted about this earlier this week, I think, Alex. It was like the Royals have now won seven of their last eight, and there are only 11 games left. So how do you make 
of this last stretch in comparison to the first one. Um, and truth be told, it's something that not just writers and, and analysts and, and evaluators are asking. Like, these, the teams are, are wondering and thinking about the same types of things. I mean, in conversations that I've had with executives and, and coaching staff and players, I mean, it's, it's really tough to evaluate um, where a team needs to go and has gone and what they've totally produced in terms of uh, just strides and, and struggles. It's, it's hard to evaluate. Um, when you think not only of the short sample size of the season, but the anxieties that are kind of in and around this type of season. So it's um, how do you do it, I think, is, is a, it's an individual case-by-case basis. I think you have to look very deeply at each individual player and how their arcs of their careers have gone, um, the sample size that they've played over time. And I think that kind of can allow you – to glean the best, but it's difficult. I mean, it's really difficult. And in my job is you're trying to tell the most accurate and portray the most accurate picture. I think you just got to rely on uh, the people and the, and the opinions and the numbers that have told the larger sample size, because you never want to make the rash judgment um, that, that might be proven wrong going forward. I kind of want to switch it up to your early life and your early career. You're from Birmingham, Alabama, which to most people, the first thing <laughs> think of Alabama, they think football. Yeah. And for you, you said you kind of stepped outside of the box to go into the baseball world. At Mizzou, you covered base or football and basketball for the most part. So where did that kind of switch come from? What was that? Was it one point or was it over the course of your time at Mizzou? Yeah, so I'll kind of walk you through it in, in a summary format. So I, in high school, um, I, I grew up in Alabama. I grew up a sports fan, played everything was not good at anything that's the most classic sports writer uh explanation that i can give you but ultimately um when i got ready to pick my schedule for high school a counselor was like you love sports why don't you write sports for the high school newspaper and i didn't like writing and i didn't want to do it but she signed me up for it and was like when you go into high school tell them you don't want to do it if you really don't want to and i was like well that's not really fair you're not giving me a, a decision on this I'm thankful for that counselor because I walked in, I got to cover my high school basketball team that ended up winning its first state championship. And that kind of got me going. I was in and around tournaments in Alabama. And and obviously with football being so big, SEC media days is there. I got to cover um, that in high school and meet a ton of other writers and editors and reporters. And that kind of led me to Mizzou. It was like, I want to do this and want to do this at the highest level, which I I do and did because I'm maniacal like that, where I think for some reason that you can reach that point. Um, I, I, I thought Mizzou would give me that best chance. So I go to Mizzou, four years of, of I don't know, meeting with and, and getting to meet and read former Mizzou writers, such as like Wright Thompson, Seth Wickersham, those guys, and, and knowing those guys came through those same places that I did gave me kind of the boost and covering football and basketball led to my senior year, actually, and the spring of it. I remember when I got a, a call from an editor at The Athletic. I had covered Missouri football for The Athletic that fall. Um, and I got a call from an editor and they were like, hey, you're graduating soon. <clears throat> um, what would your kind of interest be in, in covering baseball? And like, truth be told, I 
covered some Milwaukee Brewer stuff in an internship I did in Milwaukee for the newspaper there. I had covered some Dodgers stuff in an internship I did in Los Angeles with Yahoo Sports. And so I had dipped my foot in a little bit, but I, again, I came back to the idea that I don't know this as well as I know basketball and football. And if I, I just, I felt as if it would help me long-term to put myself in the uncomfortable position of learning a beat in a sport that I wasn't most comfortable with. And that's kind of always been my thing. It's like if I want to reach the highest level, which I still do for some reason uh, because of my maniacal nature, um, then I need to put myself in positions that, that will lead me to that point. And so it worked out. Um, we made it happen. I skipped a week of school, went down to spring training and got to meet players and, and, and executives. And it was a win. And it's been like, it's been, I keep coming back to that, but it's only been a year and a half started this thing, which is wild to say uh, of the game in terms of, I have, I have grown, no, I'm long winded here. I've grown to respect the game so much in terms of how many people there are who make so many impacts in so many different areas and also just how much, how in depth you can get with this game that is so difficult. And so the, those, all those elements are conducive to stories. Um, and that's what I love to, it's what drives me. So talk about the story component and the people component of covering baseball. Britt Giroli said the other day that football players somewhat know you, baseball players know you and your wife or husband, and then hockey players know you and your family. How would you kind of say covering football and basketball and now baseball, how does baseball differentiate from other sports you've covered in comparison to the people and story component of anything you've ever done before? It's a really good and Britt would know a lot better than I, so I'm glad she already answered this. Um, no, I mean, I, I think it's tough for me to say because I, 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 I have not covered professional sports, the other sports professionally. Um, I felt like in college it was tougher at that age, it being in college, to build relationships with the people you're covering, coaching staff. I mean, it's tougher because you're younger, so to establish trust and credibility and respect was always the challenge. And I never let that, like, I never let it get to me and say like, oh, well, I'm young, so I'm never gonna be able to build the relationship that matters here. Because I always, again, feel like that if you put in the work and, and do put in the time with each relationship, which is, with, they don't grow overnight, then you can build it no matter the age, uh, no matter, I mean, background, anything. And so, um, I think baseball just differs in the fact you're seeing these guys every single day in a normal season for 45 minutes and you stand around in the clubhouse and they know you. And for 40, if you're talking to someone for 45 minutes every day, at some point your family's going to come up at some point, your college football team that you like is going to come up. I mean, so you get to know these people uh, because they're just sitting at their lockers and, and it's, it's kind of this, awkward vibe of like okay well I'm next to this person I'm probably going to talk to him because that's we're human beings that's how it works so I think just baseball's everyday nature is conducive to building those relationships but I know the other sports you could say would be similar I just know that that baseball's pastime of it ball riders it being a a very a sport so conducive to uh writing and and that everyday kind of grind just makes it a sport that's 
easily coverable and, and, and players that are easy, are, are relationship um, potential. I mean, they, they, they make making relationships easier. You're one of the younger writers covering the Royals and being on the beat with the Royals. For me, from, you know, the player side of things, we have three assistant coaches who here who are under the age of 26 at Siena College working with me. And I think from my side that I relate to them and they, they're able to relate to me in a certain way that our head coach, Coach Tony Rossi, who's been here for going on 51 years now, he may not be able to relate to me in that way. And do you find that same kind of thing where if you're talking to guys like Brady Singer or guys like Nick Heath or Brad Keller, younger players, do you think that you may be able to pull more out of them because you're also a young guy yourself? 100%. It's something I've thought about a lot. And I just, I think a lot of, the best way to describe it, so I got into this job and um, I remember going to Surprise Arizona for spring training and I'm in a clubhouse with like Alex Gordon and Whit Merrifield. And, and so here I am, this 22-year-old kid, and now I'm, I'm going to be covering them every day and they know nothing about me. So it's tough, truthfully, to, to build that relationship so quickly. And you need to because they are the guys who have the most, uh, I, I guess, I don't know, like st stature in the clubhouse, right? So um, I ended up – so I get in the clubhouse during the season and, and start to build relationships with those guys too. Um, but I was doing so many stories on the prospect level with guys like Brady and Nick Heath and obviously Brad's younger, but um, those guys you talk to at different places and then they get to the big leagues and you have this already established relationship that gives you kind of um, a, a more in-depth ability to have conversations. And so I think, yeah, it, it's, it's an, it, the clubhouse conversation thing is such an awkward dance in itself that it's, when you have people around your age um, I think it does, it can make it more comfortable and easier, but I mean, I think it's, it's, it, again, it's very individual dependent. Some guys really like talking to reporters. Some guys don't, some guys, uh, some guys are just a lot nicer with their time, which is understandable. You talk to, you have reporters circling around you every day. I imagine that would get somewhat frustrating. And so it's very individual dependent, but I have found, as you said, Ben, that it, it's with younger guys, the ability to relate just seems to be um, more, it's just more seamless. And I think I'm appreciative of that with how, how many young players are on the Royals. I mean, the Royals is a very young or, organization in terms of the players they have. And I think that's, that's helped me kind of grow and, and learn in this uncomfortable sphere that, that I've, reference Alec this is our favorite part of the interview it's a fast five quick round it's five quick questions and you have however long to take to answer them are you ready yes let's do it so first one the athletic during the quarantine and process when there were no live sporting events kind of took on this initiative that some people I know Ken and, and Mark and Evan all kind of do these like co-stories who's someone that works with the athletic you haven't been able to write an article with that you would love to. Ooh. Um, wow. That's really good. Uh, I mean, I would say Ken and I Ken. just, I have so much respect for all those guys and just what they do and how they operate. And Ken's someone I've leaned on in certain reporting spheres. I mean, the beauty of 
the staff that we have is how open they are to helping each each other. I think that's what what has made our work stand out, and and it's why I'm so motivated and and humbled and grateful for the opportunity because uh, because it's it's just it's they are so willing to help. So Ken, I, I know I'm going. You're doing this fast five to speed my my answers up. I know that, uh, and so Ken would be would be the. All right, number two, the Royals are 21 and 29. They have this great young core. Do you see the Royals making a serious playoff push with this group of guys within the next five years? Yeah, no doubt. I think in the next five years, um, they will do it. it it's, been, it's a fascinating organization in where they stand and the prospects they have. But I do think, um, to say it best, I don't know if 2021 is going to be the most I don't know if possible time for them to contend, but I do think as you start to look at 2022 and 2023, the prospects that they will have coming will make it definitely possible for them to, uh, to compete. Number three, what is your go-to snack while covering a game or when you can attend a game at the ballpark? What's your go-to snack? In the COVID era or like normal season? Uh, maybe both. How about that? Normal season, I'm a nachos freak. You give me the the circle chips, everyone knows them, with the like with the nacho cheese that comes out of the machine. I don't know, that's a, but I promise it's good. And then it's just drinks. Uh, uh, I know soda. Like I drink like a Pepsi a game. That's my kind of intake, which is pretty brutal. But uh, yeah, the nachos is is my go-to. You can't go wrong with nachos. That's for sure. You can cover one sporting event all time, regardless of the sport. What would it be? The Masters. Um, I think – I mean, I love golf. I played golf, and I've been to Augusta once. Fortunately, went to a practice round. It's a beautiful, uh, beautiful place. But to cover that, to write the story, be there, I think would be – that's kind of a bucket lister for me. And then, Alec, the last one for the Fast Five, who is one of the most underrated players on the 2020 Royals team? Ooh. I mean, I still think Whit Merrifield is underrated. <laughs> I, I mean, like, maybe this is – it's brutal for me to say. or may, I mean, I, I don't know. But I, I just think – and I think Brad Keller could be in that conversation too. Both of those guys – are nationally not given the acclaim that I think they should be. And the, the consistency and performance is why I think they deserve that. So Whit Merrifield is a guy, I think if he were in a different market, you would, you would have a lot of Jersey sales. And I know he's as popular as it can get in Kansas city, but he's the guy. And Alec, my last question that I have for you, if a 15 year old kid walked up to Alec Lewis right now and said, Alec, I know you covered football and basketball and a big football fan, but baseball just doesn't click for me. I'm never going to watch. I find it boring. What would you say to that 15-year-old kid? Ooh, you are going in here. Um, <laughs> you know, I think I would, I would try to first walk them through the history of the game. And I know that's maybe not like the most – for, for a kid and they're on TikTok, 15 year old, they, they're on TikTok. I don't know if that's history is going to get it, but like 
I live in Kansas City now, and I've gotten to tour the Negro Leagues Baseball Museum and speak to Bob Kendrick and kind of learn that history that I, I, I'm referencing. Like that history to me um, and what the sport has, has endured and meant for the country is and, and how it is. And, and we look at it where it is today. I think that that's something. I think the other thing is just, I would, I would show them pitching ninja's Twitter account exactly. and I would say, look how cool you, I mean, and how different so many of these premier guys at their craft uh, are and how fun it is. Like I think about this year, I've gotten to watch Shane Bieber. I've watched Sixto Sanchez. I mean, Josh Stama and the Royals with the Royals, you get to watch these guys. And I know it's, it's baseball is a long game, but, to watch what some of these guys do and slingshotting a baseball toward a catcher's mitt, it is, it defies gravity. It's, it's so fascinating. And so I think those two things would, would be for me a way to get the 15 year old guy or girl to uh, love the game. And I think it would also allowing them, as you mentioned, you read five athletic stories a day. If you read stories about the people and what they have to overcome in any sphere of life, I think you connect to those people and feel inspired and uplifted. And so that, I, I think that's kind of the way I view it. But baseball is, is a game that obviously for people our age, it hasn't connected in a way that I think it, it could and can. And I think it will, because I think there are so many intriguing facets to it that I've, I've learned in covering this on a day-to-day basis. Mm-hmm. Well, Alec, first off, we want to say thanks so much for taking the time to do the podcast today and we're going to have you put yourself over now where can everyone follow you on social media i know uh there's only about a week left of the regular season and then the postseason and playoffs right around the corner as well as the offseason so where can everyone follow alec lewis on twitter and read your work yeah you can follow me on twitter at alec underscore lewis and then read the work at theathletic.com i think we've got uh, you could subscribe right now for like a dollar a month, which is, I mean, you could get a cup of coffee this morning or you could subscribe for less money. Like, I don't know why, how you wouldn't want to do that, but no, I, I, I seriously, um, don't subscribe for me, subscribe for the, the, the men and women of our staff that do such good work and drive me every day. And I, I seriously say that as someone who, who, I mean, I, I was in your shoes so so recently in terms of you you look at certain people in this business and respect them to a level that's hard to explain. And and they they push you and they still do for me. And when I lose that, I think it's over. And so that's kind of how I view it. But our, our staff pushes me and I think would would be enjoyable for anybody to read on a day to day basis. Yeah, 100%. I completely agree with that. But Alec, thanks so much for coming on today. It was a lot of fun, so thanks for doing it. Thank you very much. Yeah, thank, thank you guys for having me. Keep doing what y'all are doing, and uh, stay well, stay safe in this time. Good luck with the college, as we're talking about, Alex, the college schedule in this sphere. I'm fortunate that I did not have to navigate it. So it, it, No, it, I, I mean, it's certainly crazy. 